Hello, everyone. Art Tomasetti with this month's Flight Test Safety Podcast. We are officially out of the dog days of summer as we move past 11 August on the calendar. Fun fact, the phrase dog days of summer is a reference to the fact that during this time, the sun occupies the same region of the sky as the star Sirius, otherwise known as the dog star. In the summer, Sirius rises and sets with the sun. On July 23rd specifically, it is in conjunction with the sun. And because the star is so bright, the ancient Romans believed it actually gave off heat and added to the sun's warmth, accounting for the long stretch of hot weather. They referred to this time as dies caniculares, or dog days. See, I knew four years of Latin in high school would come in handy one day. Thus, the term dog days of summer came to mean the 20 days before and the 20 days after the alignment of Sirius with the sun, July 3rd to August 11th each year. Look at the interesting things you can hear on this podcast. You learn a little bit about astronomy, you learn a little bit about ancient Roman culture, and you learn that I took four years of Latin in high school. And yes, was a member of the Junior Classical League, aka the Latin Club. All that is sinking in, let's take our look back in aviation history. These are the voyages of the Starship Enterprise. Well, not the NCC-1701, but the N-905 which was the Boeing 747-100 shuttle carrier aircraft. On August 11th at Edwards Air Force Base in California, the shuttle Enterprise was mated to the shuttle carrier aircraft for the first approach and landing test flight. An estimated 65,000 people had come to Edwards to watch. Definitely a high visibility event. At 8 o'clock, the two aircraft began a takeoff roll down runway 22. For the next 38 minutes, the spacecraft-aircraft combination climbed together into the sky to an altitude of 24,000 feet. The shuttle carrier aircraft entered into a shallow dive, and the seven explosive bolts holding the two aircraft together were fired. Launch ready. The 747 entered a descending left turn while Enterprise banked away to the right. As Enterprise made its gliding descent, the pilots experimented with the prototype's flight characteristics and handle. Over the numbers in the runway. The shuttle orbiter touched down on Rogers Dry Lake bed at 185 miles per hour and rolled for two miles before coming to a complete stop. That first free flight of the Enterprise lasted 5 minutes and 21 seconds. For our focus feature this month, I wanted to explore the idea of risk associated with high visibility flights. Now, in the last issue of our newsletter, the Flight Test Safety Fact, my TurboTalk section discussed this. We got great feedback from our readers, so I thought I would bring it to the podcast. Now, let me give you an example. As a Harrier pilot, I learned how to do vertical landings. I practiced them often and had hundreds in the course of my time flying the airplane. You learned the procedure, you got accustomed to the visual cues and aircraft handling characteristics, You understood your engine and its performance and what to monitor, and you performed the landing. Now, I don't want to say that performing the landing to the runway was a no-brainer, but with experience, it got to be a pretty low-risk event. But now add a crowd of 50,000 people attending an air show with all eyes focused on you. Is it still the same low-risk landing? So, looking for a good example of a high-visibility event, and one where I would have someone who would actually agree to talk on the podcast, I came across a helicopter landing on a moving platform, on a football field, in the middle of a stadium, during the Super Bowl, to pick up an uber-famous celebrity and fly her out of the stadium. Now, if you're not familiar with this event, please go watch the video link we have in the podcast description. 
I welcome listeners with me today is Mr. Rich Lee. I am fortunate to be able to talk to amazing people on this podcast, and Rich definitely fits in that category. And you can check out the links in the podcast description to learn a little bit more about Rich and his career. And as a bonus, he's a friend. So, Rich, thank you for taking some time out today to talk to us. Well, thank you for the invitation to share some of my experience and, and lessons learned. Absolutely. Hey, so before we get into the, the questions we want to ask, give me just a little bit of a background of your career, like when you started flying and some of the things you've done. Well, I started flying in about uh, 1968. Initial plan was to, to be an airline pilot because of the Vietnam War and uh, the fact that I won the lottery, which meant that I would be called up fairly soon, drafted term of art, uh, I decided I would push things by going down and joining the military. Unfortunately, I didn't have enough education at the time to join the uh, Navy, which was my first choice, or the Air Force. Uh, ended up walking out of the recruitment center in the Army. Said, ah, we, we need you. So ended up joining the Army with the uh, promise that I would never have to fly helicopters. They reneged on the promise, as might be expected, and I was sort of pushed into helicopters. As it turned out, that became my career. Uh, after the U.S. Army in Vietnam, I, I worked for local operators, and I worked internationally with uh, Dutch companies uh, in Europe, uh, Asia, and the Middle East, which gave me a broad experience base. And, and uh, eventually, I ended up as a test pilot for Hughes Helicopters, Inc. did that for several years. Hughes was acquired by McDonnell Douglas Helicopter Systems, and that was later acquired by the Boeing Company. So I worked for three manufacturers as a as training pilot, production test pilot, uh, experimental test pilot. Uh, I've done just about everything you can do, and I've been in management. I ended up as a my last job was a Boeing Associate Technical Fellow, so I stepped out of management and got my dream job, if you will, as a technical fellow, which allowed me to share my experiences and knowledge with, with other test pilots in the Boeing company. Now I'm uh, just an independent pilot. I do uh, manned, unmanned technology programs for various companies and uh, very happily retired. Fascinating stuff. Okay, so I wrote a piece in our recent newsletter about risk associated with high visibility events like demos, air shows, et cetera. And you've done lots of that stuff. But let, let's talk about one in particular, uh, the landing in Sun Devil Stadium for Super Bowl 30. So I got to imagine for something like that, there were some pretty unique planning and administrative considerations. Can you talk to us a little bit about those? I can. Uh, you know, as you can imagine, it's... Uh... A huge responsibility, something like that. And initially, um, when I was first approached to uh, to take the assignment, I needed to set the bar. Um, I needed my company to understand they had to be realistic about their expectations. And despite my best planning um, and um, working diligently towards uh, success of the goal, it may not even be possible. It, it it was possible we couldn't get regulatory permission from the FAA. It's possible we couldn't get insurance. It's it's possible that the task was uh, just too much for city, county, state uh, regulators or police and fire departments. So they had to understand that 
although we would work to make it happen, there was a real possibility that it could be canceled at any point in the process and up to and including the day of the show. So after setting those expectations, I needed to put a team together. Um, and because of the visibility of taking a, uh, well, initially the, the idea was to take one celebrity in and take two celebrities out, as it turned out. Uh, it was only Diana Ross that we took out of the Super Bowl uh, that day. But landing a helicopter and a bowl full of people to the 50-yard line on a movable platform to pick up a, a megastar, as you can imagine, there are a lot of pieces to that job. Uh, so I had the authority to pick my crew, team for the helicopter, and I also requested that I have no budget constraints, which by that, as you might imagine, was reasonable budget constraints. I wouldn't be uh, nitpicked every time I asked for money to do something. Uh, most importantly, I asked for full decision authority uh, for my company and also for Radio City Music Hall, who was putting on the, the Super Bowl 30 uh, performance. And I was. I was given that authority as pertains to the helicopter operation. So that sets up uh, all of my responsibilities, the authority I have, and, uh, and money, which is, you know, as you know, no bucks, no buck rogers. Right. So just how far in advance did the planning for that start? About a year before the event, actually. Uh, it, it was a... Uh, process, a very, very involved process that took a, a, every bit of that year to uh, to do all the planning, to make sure all the pieces fit. And it uh, is something you can't do quickly. And I would suggest to those who are handed a very, very complex task like that, where, where the risk is considerable, that you use and well, you ask for first and get as much time as you can, and you use that time. As you know, often you might have three months to do something, and other things get in the way, and you leave everything for the last few weeks to get it done. And you can't do that with, with very visi high visibility, high risk operations. You, you have to ask for time, and you have to use that time properly. Right. So, with all that, advanced planning and all that time. I'm just curious, was there anything that actually came in at the last minute that you were worried about, like right up until go time almost? <laughs> uh, there were there were many things that came in at the last minute. I mean, we, we weren't certain that we'd have approval uh, right up till we did our final practice before the show. We had a stand full of uh, risk mitigators from insurance companies, the city, state, and federal officials in the stands watching our rehearsal landing with, with Diana Ross. It was a full dress rehearsal. We had uh, probably over 100 people in the stand, any any one of which could have canceled the show that day. We had uh, issues always coming up because, of, you know, we started with a list of about 100 things that, that concerned us. We addressed that list sequentially and but it's a working document as we got further and further uh, practices and planning. Uh, we learned more and the risks became greater and we had to do something to address each and every risk. We started 
practice with an open field, then to a platform on an open field, then to a playing field without a stadium, playing field with all the people. And then we finally ended up with a full dress rehearsal at the stadium. So there, there was a lot of practices. And along the way, with each practice, we would learn something that we hadn't considered before. And um, we had to address those issues. And still, we were surprised. We'll finish up with part two of our interview with Rich Lee next month. So between now and then, think about what you've heard, your experience with high visibility events. Got a story you'd be willing to share? Something you learned from an experience with one of these type events? And share that story with us and it could be featured on a future podcast. Some upcoming events in the next few months. Uh, we are still planning for the European Flight Test Safety Workshop in London from 12 to 14 October, but we are staying informed with the latest changes in travel and other restrictions, and a final decision will be made somewhere before the end of August. SFTE's annual symposium is being held in St. Louis 10 through 15 October, and the Society of Experimental Test Pilots annual symposium and banquet will take place in Anaheim, California, 27 through 30 October. As the situation remains fluid for these type of events, please continue to check the organization's websites for the latest information on registration and call for papers and reservations. Well, that's it for this month. Thank you for listening. Be sure to come back next month for part two of our discussion on high visibility events and think about how you and your team would approach or do approach these type of events. We welcome your feedback and suggestions for future podcasts. And until next month, be safe, be smart, and be ready. The Flight Test Safety Podcast is sponsored by Time to Climb Training and Consulting. Motivate your team to succeed, accelerate towards your goals, and elevate to a higher level of performance. On the web at www.time2climb.com. <laughs>